This is the way most of my conversations with my brother Wayne ended. Apparently, he just deeply regretted the fact that I had been born, and he wanted me to feel the same way. Come on, Wayne! Let him out! I'm sorry, Paul. This is a family matter. Hey, cassettes, and welcome back to the Black Case Diaries. Hey, hey. Hey. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> We're oh. three old friends learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Robin. I'm Marcy. And I'm Adam. <laughs> hey. It's actually been a while since I've led an episode. Did you miss your own voice? No. <laughs> sul- sultry tones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My sultry voice. Yes. I Your Amy Poehler voice. I mean, yeah, that's true. You know, <laughs> I've been told by many people yeah. that I sound like Amy Poehler, which I, I think mean, is amazing. That's I, pretty cool. I don't hear it. So, <laughs> well, guys, it's been a blast going back to school with you all. This week, we're finishing up back to school September with a very special episode about a very special TV series and its pilot episode. On January 31st, 1988, the world met Kevin Arnold, a 12 year old suburban boy growing up in the 1960s. Guided by the voice of Daniel Stern, the Wonder Years took audiences back in time to an era of change and uncertainty and reminded them what it was like to be a kid again. Mm. The Wonder Years! So we're doing something different this week and we've never done on a full episode before. Yeah. Yeah. We're just talking about one episode of a TV show. Oh, man. This is going to be interesting yeah (laughs) yes we're not used to this no so we're going to talk about just one episode of this show but we're going to talk a little bit about the show in general have you guys ever seen the wonder years outside of this episode i have not Mm -mm. no no okay (laughs) so this is a show that i've watched but this is one that marcy and adam Mm -hmm. have not really yes but but that i want to (laughs) right after this absolutely but i had heard about it yeah. For so long after yeah. because I know how popular it is and how influential it's been yeah. for a lot of people. So I, it as soon as we thought about doing it, I was like, oh, of course I know that show, but I yeah. just never watched it. Well any. known. Yeah. yeah. But, but is it a kissing show? <laughs> <laughs> Only in the first episode. Okay. I wouldn't say it's overwhelmingly a kissing show. <laughs> overwhelmingly kissing. <laughs> When I told my dad we were doing back to school stuff, he told he actually suggested he said, "Oh, the Wonder Years is the first thing he said." And I thought, "Oh, that's a really good idea." Yeah. So we're doing this for you, Dad. Shout out if, if you're listening. You. Yes. Yeah. Throughout its five seasons, the Wonder Years connected with audiences in the late 1980s and early 90s. But many of its themes are timeless. It also made its star Fred Savage a household name and forever made a mark on American pop culture. This week. We're discussing the history of the Wonder Years with a focus on the pilot episode of the show. Because the show starts with the main character going back to school, we thought it would be the perfect topic to close out our series of school-related episodes. Are you guys excited to talk about the Wonder Years? Yes, I am. I am excited to learn about it. (laughs) (laughs) Not knowing anything about it. Yeah. Even when I watched the pilot, I was like, oh, shoot, Fred Savage. Yeah. Because I didn't even know that. Also, when I say that, you know, it made an impact on pop culture, what I'm really talking about is the fact that the Goldbergs exists. Yeah. <laughs> if you watch this show and then you watch an episode of the Goldbergs, you really see it. Yes. You can see how it was heavily influenced by the Wonder Years. It was essentially Very heavily. <laughs> an updated version. You know, you've got a narrator. It's a little, 
I'd say it's much more comical, mm-hmm. or at least the brand of comedy is different. Mm-hmm. So before we go into the events of the episode, let's talk a little bit about the historical context of the show. It's history time. Hooray. All right, I'm going to go snooze. Yeah. I'm oh. just kidding. <laughs> Everybody hates on history time, but you know what? You know what? It is good. If you're a listener of this podcast <laughs> and you don't like history, what are you doing? <laughs> right. What are you doing? Because we talk about history all, all every, every, every dang time. Film history, but also regular history. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of both. Yeah. They go hand in hand. <laughs> they sure do. I mean, they're both history. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's like two different brands of apples. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't get red delicious. They're not. No, I no. agree. The late 1960s was a turbulent time. The war in Vietnam forever changed and destroyed the lives of countless people, including those that lived in stucco houses, nestled safely in American suburbia. Between 1964 and 1973, over 2 million American men were drafted to fight in the war, with the first draft lottery since World War II happening in 1969. When America entered the Vietnam War, it had been less than 20 years since the end of the Second World War. The American people were familiar with the pain, anxieties, and struggles of war, but back then, it was common for people to get updates on the conflict through newspapers and newsreels at a local theater. But by the 1960s, a new medium existed to reach wider audiences, television. Uh Game changer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And specifically with World War II, America's vision of that is like, we did it. We came in and saved those Mm -hmm. people from from the nasty Germans. You know what I mean? Just because we came in right at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And we weren't directly attacked aside from Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Right? So now- America being a little bit high horse going into this, like, now we get to see the realness of war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the actress that played Norma, the mom in this show, said it in one of the special features. Back in the 40s, men went off to war and and they came home, or they didn't. And yeah. And it was awful, and it was a terrible thing, but you didn't really know what happened. And yeah. mm-hmm. when they started televising war, people got to see it. And that made it much more real to them. For the first time, the bleak and disturbing realities of war and the names of dead American sons were broadcast daily to audiences across the country. This new exposure further enlightened many to the horror of war, experiencing it for the first time in their living rooms. This and other major events of the 1960s, like the Civil Rights Movement, the Counterculture Movement, and the assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr., John F. Kennedy, and Robert Kennedy defined a generation. It was an era of immense turmoil and great change. Man, oh man. When I, when I look back, it's like all of this at once, it feels yeah. like, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, everyone lives in crazy times for sure, but... You know, when you, when you pinpoint all of those things at, <laughs> at the same time, it's like, jeez. Yeah. Seems kind of condensed. And I know we've talked about it a little bit. In our horror episode, we talked about this because, you know, we talked about how horror movies really reflected the the things that were happening in the world. Yeah. And that shaped horror as a genre. And, you know, this, the 60s was a big time for that because, Yeah, yeah, I mean, things really were rapidly changing. Because The Wonder Years begins in this decade, 
The backdrop of the war is important to the storyline, showing the effect it had on American families directly. The show began less than 20 years after the end of the war, meaning that there were writers, crew members, and even actors that had either fought in the war or knew someone that did. Oh, yeah, so they're going to have, like, firsthand knowledge. Yeah, yeah, so even, as, and I, I don't believe I wrote it in this doc, but the man who plays Kevin Arnold's father, Jack, fought in, war, in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk a little bit about the making of the show. All yeah. right. It's good times. Yeah. Ah, yes. Shortly after creating the sitcom Growing Pains, did you guys watch that? Growing Pains? I've seen some of that. I, I wouldn't say I was. <laughs> yeah, I loved Growing Pains. I was a big fan. Shortly after creating the sitcom Growing Pains in the mid-1980s, Neil Marlins felt like he was done with TV for a while. After working on a film with his wife, Carol Black, the two of them decided to make another movie, told from the perspective of a little boy. The more they discussed the idea, they realized it would be better suited as a TV show. They wrote the first episode in about two weeks. That's pretty fast. Yeah, that is really quick. But they said it was really easy. They said of all the projects they've ever done, this came to them easier than anything else. Interesting. Nice. I mean, I guess if you have a good idea, it yeah. just flows. Yeah. Marlins and Black understood that what they were creating was unorthodox compared to the usual TV sitcom, as it would feature a single camera and narration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Normal sitcoms had about three cameras or, you know. <laughs> yeah. They're in a laugh track. Yeah, and... <laughs> usually not a narrator in yes. a sitcom. Yeah. So they decided to write the script before pitching the idea so that the producers would have a better understanding of what they were going for. They said sometimes in the TV making process, more people get involved. There are committees, there are opinions, and things do not turn out the way you want them to. Oh, yeah. So they yeah. were like, we're going to write it beforehand. So the more fleshed out you have it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Using their own childhood experiences for inspiration, the couple set the show in the late 1960s. Carol Black said in an interview that she started her childhood watching shows like Leave It to Beaver, but as she grew up, the entire country changed. She's like, this, is a really, this was a really unique time. It was like you learned how things were, and then suddenly you were relearning them, and you were only 11 years old. Since the beginning of the writing process, the creators were certain they wanted an adult narration driving the story forward so that they could avoid writing unnatural dialogue for the child actors. The narrator also made the show work for adult audiences, so it became a show for all ages. Yes. Perfect. I couldn't imagine writing for a kid. If you're so used to writing for adults, then Mm -hmm. just all of a sudden switching to a kid, it's probably pretty jarring. And it would be very easy to make it sound unnatural. Like, Mm -hmm. kids don't talk like that. Yeah. Yeah. They said, you know, they talked about how a kid comes home from school. Mm Mm-hmm. And you say, how was school today? And they go, well, good. Right. Did you learn anything? No. <laughs> and Last that's time. it. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, is, it is very realistic to have, you know, the kid on screen that young kids are identifying with mm-hmm. and acting the way they act. And then you have an adult kind of interpreting everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when this happened. This is how I felt. Yeah. It's, it's really clever. And I really, really like that about yeah. this. Yeah. The show was not autobiographical, but it touched on shared experiences of many Americans, and because of that, it felt very authentic. Yeah. Yeah, they said once they started writing it, and they knew it was the 1960s, they would have other writers be like, oh, we should add this. Do you remember yeah. that? 
do you guys remember that show? Do you remember, you know, remember that mm-hmm. song? We should play that song, you know? Yeah. And it was like all these people were like, oh, I loved, oh, I played this game. Mm-hmm. Everybody coming together with their all their memories and their experiences and making this show. And that's why yeah. people watched it and said, mm-hmm. oh, God, <laughs> I remember this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even Daniel Stern was like, this is like my childhood. Yeah. He was like, I grew up with a kid that was down the street that went off to war and died. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I had experiences like this. He's like, it was, it was so real to even mm-hmm. how I grew up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The house in the pilot episode was a real house on a street in Burbank, California. It was perfect for the show because all the trees looked young, just like the trees in the recently built suburban neighborhoods of the 1960s. Yeah, they said that all the trees had died. Yeah. And so they had replanted the trees, and that was perfect. Mm-hmm. Because when you were moving to the suburbs in the 60s, all the trees had just been planted. Yeah, yes. they're all tiny. Yeah. Yeah, and there was... Even one that had not died and it was still living. It was a huge palm tree on a street over. And they went over and they paid the people to take it down. Wow. <laughs> they, they paid for it to be taken down. And they also just gave them 200 bucks on the side mm-hmm. just to have. They yeah. said they knocked on the door and said, how much is your tree worth to you? <laughs> and, they, and, and I guess it was about $200. So they just paid it. <laughs> And then they paid for the tree to get taken down. <laughs> Which they said they were like, trees are usually worth thousands of dollars. Well, I was thinking. Oh, well. Daniel Stern received the script so he could audition for the role of the narrator and showed it to his brother, Dave. Dave then wrote a spec script for the show and became the first writer hired by Carol and Neil. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's really neat. Just as the show was starting, there was a writer's strike. So this script was helpful. Oh, boy. Yeah, they said they might not have made it to six episodes if they didn't have this episode written by him. Nice. Lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Very. All the auditions for the narrator were blind, meaning that the creators did not know anyone's name or face. They chose actor Daniel Stern solely on his voice and ability to connect with the character. It feels like that's what he would sound like when he grew up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just... It just works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he had said that he had never done voice work before. This was his oh, yeah. first. It's great. Mm-hmm. Quit while you're ahead. Nailed <laughs> first, nailed it the first nailed time. Nailed it. Yes. Five seasons yes. done. Yeah. <laughs> the showrunners would talk to the kids and sometimes put stories or lines in the script based on their ideas. That's nice. That is really nice. Yeah. Brings the actual family aspect of it. Yeah. <laughs> A little bit more of like, what would your brother say, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When Carol Black and Neil Marlins were interviewing casting directors, almost all of them told them that no matter what they do, they should audition this child actor named Fred Savage. They saw some footage of his work and mailed him a pilot script. Later on, Savage would say that it was his parents that decided that it was worth it to fly to California for an audition. Fred got the part and became one of the biggest child stars of the 90s. Wouldn't it be nice to just get a script in the mail? It's like, yeah. It's like <laughs> to be somebody who they want. Like, yeah. Instead of having to be the person who goes to try to find auditions. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. They're like, how about you audition for our thing? It's like, well, <laughs> I've got it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The parents, he said that he liked it, but his parents read it and were, oh, this is really special. Uh-huh. We're gonna fly you to California. Yeah. You really should try out for this one. This is this is gonna go somewhere. 
The creators searched for a month to find someone to play Winnie Cooper, the lead female character opposite Fred Savage. Danica McKellar and her sister Crystal were both finalists for the role. For them, acting was just a hobby and not a career, and their mother would normally not allow them to audition for a pilot episode of a show. For that reason. However, the role at this stage in development was actually a one-off, so their mother allowed them to audition. Both girls were equally talented, and the role eventually went to Danica, because she had dark hair that matched Fred Savage's hair. <laughs> uh, I mean, okay. <laughs> All I right. Mean, sometimes it's just the yeah i mean i i think that's so interesting i feel i feel like if i was the other sister it would feel it would it wouldn't hurt my feelings yeah because i'd be like oh okay it wasn't because i was a worse actress Mm -hmm. but i would also be furious (laughs) i can dye my hair right i right (laughs) well the writers did create another character for her sister to play as well so that's good yeah yeah She didn't get left out. (laughs) (laughs) When they were writing the parents, Carol and Neil considered the generational divide that was happening between parents and their kids in the 1960s. It's something that occurs with every generation, but there had been so much radical change throughout the decade, this issue really affected the family dynamic. For Jack Arnold, Kevin's father, they cast Dan Loria. The creators were looking for someone who had an everyman feeling, a working class person that audiences would connect to. Jack is meant to embody the classic 1960s father, a man that had sacrificed everything for his family and just wants quiet at the end of the day. (laughs) I think that really comes through even in just the first episode. Yeah. But at the same time, I could feel myself being a little bit intimidated by him. Yes. And kind of glad that I don't have a dad like that. Yeah. Because I would be just like afraid to do anything. When I was a kid and I watched this show, I I was afraid of the dad on this show. And I remember my dad always telling me about his dad, my grandpa, Mm -hmm. and it, that just by the descriptions uh, that my dad gave me and, and watching this show, it seems like this is pretty much what it was like. <laughs> like, you know, it was, pretty realistic. Show. Yeah, it seems it seems like a lot of people really were writing from their experience. Yes, my dad, he came home every day. He just wanted a drink and dinner. And, and fr- silence. Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting because it's like you have the fathers of TV, of TV sitcoms in like the 50s mm-hmm. and 60s and they're like, well, you know, Beaver. Right. Very yeah. good at communication mm-hmm. and very loving and, and, and th- yeah. this, this kind of parent is, is different and than that. into the 90s it did that too, like yeah. with yeah. Full House and stuff like yeah. that. Allie Mills was cast as Norma Arnold, the peacekeeping matriarch of the Arnold family. The relationship dynamics between men and women had changed so much since the 1960s, many actresses that had auditioned for the role played the character too modern. Mills understood that her role wasn't to win the arguments with her male counterpart, but to keep the harmony of the household. Mills also had great chemistry with Olivia Dabo, who was cast as her teenage daughter. It's really interesting that they said everyone else is being too modern. Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really think about that, but totally, they you want if yes. you have this taking place in the '60s, mm-hmm. 
you wouldn't really want that because it didn't exist yeah. nearly to the same extent. Right. I guess. Mm-hmm. You have women that are reading the lines, but like the tone is different. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like more of like a kind of standing up for themselves, kind mm-hmm. of, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that it wouldn't happen as often mm-hmm. in the 1960s. Yeah. Obviously, he's had a bad day or something like yeah. that. I'm just going to tell him what he wants to hear in this moment and then we'll move on. Yeah. In the episode, when he walks in and she's like, hi, honey, uh, how is traffic? Yeah. And he says, traffic's traffic. And he yeah, walks away. Yeah. You know, a woman might be kind of perturbed by that. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah. well. Like, well, I'm just, just trying to be nice. Yeah. yeah. I, just, I mean, gosh, I was just trying to, you know what I mean? And it's just, but she's I'm, just like. I'm only your wife. <laughs> yeah. And she's just like, oh, okay. You know, yeah. like, it's fine. You just know? move on. Yeah. 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 Like we mentioned before, it makes it feel more authentic that way. Mm-hmm. And the people who grew up with this probably are like, that's exactly what I Right. Heard. Yeah. The pilot episode was directed by Steve Miner, with some scenes filmed at John Burroughs High School in California. Cool. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Yeah. So next, we shall talk a little bit about the music. Yay. All right. W.G. Snuffy Walden composed the music for the show, notably the theme for Winnie Cooper. The music for the show is usually acoustic, giving it a more personal feeling. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's you're sitting there listening to somebody play it as, you know, as it's happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said he was lucky to write a simple and easy to understand theme because so many people related to it and loved it. The theme is likely part of what made Winnie such an iconic character. Yeah. I think if you ask somebody who grew up in the late 80s and early 90s, mm-hmm. is a yeah. very memorable character and just yeah, very yeah. big. And we'll we'll put a link so you can listen to just her theme because it, it's it is really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of some of those iconic characters, we are now going to talk about the people who played them, of course. Ooh, yes, starring. Yes. yes. <laughs> So the show is narrated by Daniel Stern, as we mentioned, as the grown-up Kevin Arnold. According to Daniel Stern, he was hired to narrate the show, but got fired after recording the pilot episode. Apparently, the show was concerned that Stern's film career would make him unavailable to record. In his place, the show hired actor Ari Gross, and his narration was heard in the pilot that aired on January 31st. Shortly after the pilot aired, the show asked Stern to return as the narrator. Cool. Yeah. I I feel a little bad for Ari Gross because yeah. I don't think it was a bad performance or anything. It's just Mm-mm. that they just really wanted Daniel Stern to yeah. do it. Yeah. Then next, of course, we have Fred Savage as young Kevin Arnold. Fred is an actor and director that you may remember as the little boy in The Princess Bride. Yes, iconic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he is mostly a director now. Yeah, he does act right. every once in a while. Mm-hmm. He'll show up in a TV show every once yeah. in a while, and or Deadpool. Or... Yeah, or <laughs> oh, yeah. Deadpool. That's right. He was in that Boy Meets World episode where he plays a teacher that ah. sexually harasses uh, Topanga. Oh my gosh. When they're when they're in college, it's a very interesting episode yeah. because his younger brother Ben Savage yes. plays Corey yes. on Boy Meets World and actually punches him in the mm-hmm. face. <laughs> and yeah. his son Augie actually plays Augie on Girl Meets World. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So cute. Connections. Yeah. So many. <laughs> Next is Danica McKellar as Winnie Cooper. Danica has since done several Hallmark movies, but is also a mathematician 
who has written several children's books about math. Yeah. She's like a genius. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I couldn't imagine writing about math. (laughs) I remember my mom bringing those home from the library for me. Oh, cool. She'd be like, hey, Robin, look, it's Winnie Cooper. She's all grown up. How cool. Yeah. (laughs) Adorable. Next is Josh Saviano as Kevin's best friend, Paul Pfeiffer. Josh no longer acts and is now a lawyer. That's cool. Good for him. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. I loved Paul. Mm-hmm. Paul was one of my favorite parts of this show. He's so nerdy and just, but you know. But such a good friend. Yeah. Dan Loria played his father, Jack Arnold. Mm-hmm. Dan is an actor that has been in many things, such as the TV show Sullivan and Son. Yeah. And I guess he kind of, he was a stage actor a little bit, too. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. He began as a stage actor. Yeah. And he felt like TV actors weren't real actors. And that's, <gasps> what, he, that's what he told everybody. Yes, <laughs> he <show>. did. It's <laughs> a hot take. Allie Mills played his mother, Norma Arnold. Allie is an actress and has most recently had a recurring role on The Bold and the Beautiful since 2006. I'm sorry, I I just don't know anything about it. You don't know anything about (gasps) soap operas? Wow. I catch up like once a week (laughs) when I go in the break. You gotta find out who's got a twin, who's dying. I mean, you really only need to watch one episode a week and you're like, oh, okay, now I I see what happened. I figured it out. (laughs) Olivia Diabo as his sister, Karen Arnold. Olivia is an actress that was in Conan the Destroyer as Princess Jenna. Cool. That sounds like a fun one. And she's British. She is. And she lied to the casting directors (laughs) and told them that she was from Ohio. I know. She posed as an Ohioan, guys. We should be furious. No, not really. (laughs) I think it's so funny that she chose Ohio. Wow. Yeah. She's so Midwestern state. So did she walk around putting on an accent the whole Mm -hmm. time? I think so. Wow. I mean, Ohio is one of those places that has a very nondescript accent. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think it was a smart place to pick. Yeah, I agree. She was just very good at, or is very good at dialects. Mm -hmm. She can just kind of- Pick them up. Pick them up. Pretty quickly, which is amazing. That is really cool. And then finally, we have Jason Harvey as his brother, Wayne Arnold. Jason is an actor and TV producer, and he was also in Back to the Future. Yeah. Nice. The creators of the show said that all the casting was so easy. Yeah. It was like they when they saw someone, they knew this is the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and it was like that with Wayne, they said. He, he was perfect. He yeah. was perfect for that role. I loved Wayne, too. He was one of my favorite parts of the show. <laughs> really cool. They also mentioned how when you choose child actors, you want to choose ones that have very similar personalities and mannerisms to what you want the character to be. Because children, you know, they can be good actors, but... They don't. They don't really. They can't change that much. Right. They're not. Yeah. That good. They're not so little what De Niro's. You see, yeah. is what you get, kind <laughs> of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what we're gonna do is we're actually gonna walk through the pilot episode, and we are going to just kind of talk about what happens. I'm kind of. I'm not doing a full play by play, but we're just gonna go over the scenes and we're gonna discuss them as we see fit, and then yeah. we're gonna be basically be done with this episode. So yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the episode, you can go watch it online. It's on Hulu. Back. You know, that way you have a good base. But yeah. 
or you can just listen to us talk about it. Sure. Whichever yeah. you like. You Spoilers ahead. Yes. Yeah, you won't even have to watch it after this. <laughs> yeah. The pilot episode of The Wonder Years aired on January 31st, 1988, after the Super Bowl. It opened with the song A Little Help From My Friends, sung by Joe Cocker. The show creators felt the song's combination of vulnerability and levity was perfect for the show. Because they were unable to license anything by the Beatles, they went with the Joe Cocker version. They also felt that Cocker's version was much more emotionally raw. I yeah. agree with that for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, what a heck of a follow-up to a Super Bowl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like... That's the that's biggest, risk. yeah. Really, that's the biggest slot, you know. Yeah. To like, yeah. To premiere a show after the Super Bowl is kind of a big thing to right. do, you know. Yeah. It, it the network's really putting a lot on it because a lot of people are watching right, the Super Bowl. Right. But a lot of people also want to go to bed, so. <laughs> Depending on how late it goes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in the beginning, we see the actors through silent home movies of the era, introducing the family dynamic and playing on the nostalgia of the 1960s. After the opening credits. We hear Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds. Music is often a tool for transporting audiences to specific decades, and that technique is used often in the Wonder Years. You will hear a song mm-hmm. generally uh, at very pivotal moments of the show, and it just kind of really draws you into that era. Mm-hmm. TV shows do it now. Movies do it. It's, it's really, you, it, once you listen for it, you can't stop hearing it. Yeah. For the first time, we hear the narration by Daniel Stern who introduces the main conflict of the episode, Kevin Arnold's first day of middle school. He refers to the late 1960s as a golden age for kids. How often did we hear that growing up? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I was your age, Mm -hmm. I could just play until the streetlights came on. We could go out after dark. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I love this idea that they're like building up to middle school. Yeah. And they just like, it's like getting over a hurdle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they know that after this day, everything is different. Yes. Mm-hmm. When really you're looking back and you're like, oh, well, middle school wasn't that pivotal. I mean, yeah. maybe back in the day it was. Mm-hmm. But for us, like the transition from elementary to middle school maybe didn't feel as dramatic. But I still love this. There's yeah. like this huge buildup. It's like we're... In you know, in their minds, like middle school, we're like grown up now. Yes, <laughs> we're at the end of childhood now. Yeah, we're leaving elementary mm-hmm. school. We're going into middle school, and everything will be different now because we're you know we're with the big kids, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they actually change schools, which Marcy and I did. We changed yeah, schools we from did. elementary school to middle school, mm-hmm. but Adam, you didn't. Yeah, right. And, so I guess that's and why. it was yeah. Hell, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, we meet Kevin Arnold as he plays football on the street with some friends. We're introduced to Winnie Cooper, the neighbor girl that used to be close with Kevin, and of course, we meet Kevin's older brother, Wayne. In this scene, we also meet Paul, Kevin's best friend that's allergic to everything. Paul was based on a real friend of co-creator Neil Marlins. Nice. That's cute. (laughs) But also, man. A little sad. (laughs) This is where Wayne is beating up on Kevin. Mm-hmm. And Paul's like, hey, hey, stop it, stop it. And he's grabbing. And he says, I'm sorry, Paul, this is a family matter. And he- <laughs> <laughs> Which I laughed yeah. so hard at. <laughs> Wayne and Kevin get into a fight. And as Wayne is beating up on his younger brother, Winnie Cooper's older brother, Brian, yells for him to stop. The narration introduces Brian's character as the epitome of cool, a 19-year-old that never stopped working on his El Camino. 
That June, he got drafted and packed off to Vietnam. But his car was still out front, up on blocks, as kind of a reminder of who really ran things on our street. Brian was played by Robert Mitchum's grandson, Bentley Mitchum. Aw. Robert Mitchum was a film actor in the 40s and 50s, kind of like a anti-hero type, kind of a John Wayne-ish kind of guy. Uh Uh-huh. So yeah, this is when we meet Brian Cooper for the mm-hmm. first yeah, time. Who they, looks kind of I don't know, Elvisy or Yeah, like, just, he's just like very he's cool. Kind of cool. Like a greaser almost. Greaser. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. no, no, not Elvis, James Dean. Yeah. That's oh, what there I'm you go. Of. That's, I'm sorry. Yeah. Not, and it almost seemed like it was out of respect. Yeah. Too. Like even the older brother beating up on Kevin, it's like, you know, he told everyone else, This is a family matter, don't worry about it. But but just out of sh- the sheer respect everyone has for Brian, he's like, all right, I'll stop. Yeah. yeah. Like, oof. That's enough. Yeah. <laughs> he gives one little last oomph push. Yeah. He's like, shoulder, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the next scene, we see Kevin and Paul eating dinner while we get a glimpse of the news coverage of the war on their TV. We're really firmly placing us in the 1960s. Yeah. Yes. We meet Kevin's mom, who pleads with Kevin not to make his father upset when he comes home from work. Kevin's dad, Jack, walks in shortly after, exhausted from a long day. Soon we see all of the family at the table, including Kevin's sister, Karen, and brother, Wayne. Norma, Kevin's mother, hands his father a vodka tonic as the entire family starts to eat. And this is where Kevin has this really wonderful inner monologue where he Mm -hmm. says, you know, I just kind of tried to stay out of his way and be quiet and hope that no one really upset him too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No sudden movements. Yes. Nothing. We yeah. all just, nobody needs to bother dad right now. It's just very, this very tense dinner. Karen breaks the tense silence at the table by announcing that she, a teenager in, the, in 1968, is getting birth control pills. And the scene ends with the entire family arguing. Oh, gosh. Oh why? That is, one of my, that is one of the funniest scenes in the whole show. <laughs> why, would she, why? Of all I, the things to bring up. Was, yeah. <laughs> Kevin's sitting there. Oh, no one make any sudden movements. And yeah. Karen's like, you know, I'm just going to let you guys know. I'm going to buy birth control. <laughs> like, he hadn't even finished that first vodka tonic. Like, <laughs> it's, he barely it even didn't even wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like this. And his dad, and it was just a silence. And then the dad just hits the table. And then everyone is just yelling at each other. <laughs> and then the scene just ends like that. And I, it, it's so funny. It's, it's perfect. Yeah. I think the last thing you really hear is the mom saying, <laughs> Karen, tell your father you're joking. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's almost, yeah. it's like she was trying to upset him. Yeah, like, she really. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, of all the things. The next scene opens with the song Both Sides Now by Joni Mitchell, as we see a montage of Kevin's summer memories, the last summer of his childhood. The next few scenes focus on Kevin and Paul as they prepare for the first day of school looking over a copy of Our Bodies, Ourselves while listening to Crystal Blue Persuasion by Tommy James and the Shondells, and Kevin attempting to wear the latest styles to the bus stop. Paul asks him, what are you going to wear tomorrow to school? Mm-hmm. And Kevin's like, I don't know, Paul. <laughs> and he says, well, actually, I have my outfit planned for six weeks. Yeah. And he comes downstairs in this wonderful ensemble. Beautiful. This, like, redi- these ridiculous <laughs> yeah, the uh, bell-bottom jeans. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Oh my I mean, gosh. I don't even know if they were jeans. They might not. I have don't been. think so. They were kind yeah. of like these corduroy Just, bell bottoms. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> this really frilly, you know, yeah. loud shirt. Oh, Just yeah. all these patterns on it. Wayne laughs at him, and then it cuts, and he stands at the bus stop in just a plain button-down shirt. Yeah. 
<laughs> with of course. Like, khakis. Of course. <laughs> I also love the part where they're looking at that book and the mother walks in and Paul quickly like closes it and like sits on it. <laughs> yeah. Being as obvious as you could possibly be <laughs> oh, yeah. that it's a book they shouldn't be looking at. <laughs> yes, yes. Because I think the narration yeah. says something like the best way to get to like to get ready for middle school girls is to be looking at them naked or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh boy, that yeah. he's gonna get caught so quick. And then of course she walked in, and yeah. it's a very but... funny bit. <laughs> I know. Later on in the show, there's a scene where they look at a Playboy magazine. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, this is like this is like a book for teenage girls. Yeah. To help yeah. them. Yeah. With yeah. what they're going through. <laughs> It's just, it's not quite. It's not. Yeah, it's not quite what they really want to see. It's not a Playboy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just after Kevin and Paul encounter Winnie Cooper without her signature braids and glasses. Earlier in the show, you see her. She always has braids, French braids and glasses. And she's got hot iron hair and a stylish clothes and now is going by the name Gwendolyn. She's kind of reinventing herself from middle school, it seems like. I did that for high school. Yeah, so. I remember that. You started, <laughs> everyone started calling her Marsha. I let my OG people call me Marcy. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Even in this show, you still hear Kevin call her Winnie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so it's like, he she's okay like, with it for the yeah. most part, but she's just like, yeah. For the most part, Gwendolyn. I'm Gwendolyn now. Yeah. As Kevin and Paul head into the school, the narrator tells us that the school had recently been renamed Robert F. Kennedy High School, as many schools had been rebranded to honor the recently assassinated politician, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is very interesting. I didn't know that schools did that in yeah. the 1960s, that they all like changed their names and stuff. Yeah. Kevin's first day of school isn't going very well. In homeroom, a teacher recognizes him as Wayne's brother, which essentially puts a target on his back. In the hall, a bully tosses a knife and some drugs in Kevin's locker, threatening him in the process. <laughs> Which you remember like, watching this in the 80s. Yeah. And you see that and it's like, oh, oh, wow, things yeah. were loose in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but like that kid was a full grown adult. Yeah, he like, was not, he was a, he he's was not a middle adult. schooler for sure. That was a 25 year old man. Yeah. Yeah. He'd been held back maybe a few times. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, his first class was phys ed. Oh yeah! I Hooray. love the gym class scene. Yes, I think. What you guys want to talk about the gym class scene? I want to first talk about how he describes it. I believe he he's like you know, you go to sc- like I shower before school. I go to school. I have to change, get all sweaty and stuff. Shower again and then change again. All like, within a span of forty five minutes. Yeah, forty five yeah. minutes. Oh, God. <laughs> Sounds like a nightmare. Because it was yeah. his first class. Yeah. <laughs> like oh my god! Just wear your gym uniform to school if it's gonna be first. Right? Yeah, I guess that's true. But probably, unless maybe, they have, home, but see, they have home. I was gonna say maybe not straight. allowed to do that. And then the fact that he's asked what a, j- a jock strap is. Yes. I love his description. Oh, man. Of a jock strap. <laughs> of a jock strap. Yes. The most, when you don't know the answer and you uh, just yeah. use the the wording yep. of it. It's a strap. Strappy material. It's a, it's a strap <laughs> made of a strappy material for for strapping. And, um, and then you hear the sound of a plane crashing in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. 
Robert Picardo, a brilliant physical comedian, played Kevin's gym teacher, Coach Cutlip. He had the biggest inferiority complex since Napoleon. (laughs) You could feel it. (laughs) You could feel how seriously he was taking it. Yeah. It's like, you know, out there they train your minds. In here I train your bodies or something like that. I don't remember exactly the line, but... It's just, dude, stop. (laughs) Tone it down. Oh, my God. These are kids. (laughs) Through those doors, they educate your minds. In here, I educate your bodies. I'm an educator, okay? A body educator. (laughs) The jockstrap. What is it, and what can it do for you? (laughs) It's lunchtime, and Kevin and Paul are sitting together when Winnie Cooper comes up to join them. So they we transition to lunchtime, mm-hmm. and lunch, of course, is a really scary part of the day, yeah. the first day of school. Oh, my yeah. God. You don't know but, where you're going to sit, if you're going to find a seat, if anyone will sit with you. He thinks it's going to be so easy, though. Yes. He comes in, and he's like, I can't mess this up. Yeah, lunch. <laughs> yeah. And he kind of he becomes more and more self-conscious as he goes and sits down and realizes that he He's sitting next to Paul, who's maybe not very cool, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe <laughs> right. maybe he's not very cool, and he's not really sure. Yeah. Kevin's nerves start to calm when his brother Wayne spots him and begins to make fun of him and Winnie. Kevin, angry and annoyed, grabs the apple off his tray and heads out of the cafeteria when the vice principal stops him. He tells Kevin that if he leaves with the apple, he will get detention. When the vice principal stops him again, Kevin considers what Brian Cooper, Winnie's older brother, would do in this situation. Mm-hmm. Wayne is being awful in this yeah. scene. Terrible, yeah. Just being so awful, mm-hmm. you know, teasing Kevin relentlessly about mm-hmm. Winnie and really hurting her feelings in the yeah. process. Yeah, I was about to say, it's not just hurting him. It's yeah, just, oh. she really handles it so well and yeah. so maturely mm-hmm. in this scene because she just sits there quietly and just lets it all play out. And mm-hmm. Kevin's like, I don't even like her. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's cute. I mm-hmm. don't want to, you know. And of yeah. course, Kevin's, Kevin's saying all those things because he's just, you He's know. just trying to deny it because yeah. girls are yeah. uncool or something. Or just because, yeah, he just wants Wayne to stop. It's just, yeah. yeah. Just yeah. And he's embarrassed. Yeah. And- yeah. <laughs> And I think, you know, it's just such an interesting moment for her because she's just really handling it really well. I mean, she chose to sit down with him. Mm -hmm. You know, she could have found new friends. She could have. She was reinventing herself anyway. You know, she had the perfect opportunity. Yeah. But she was like, oh, you know, these are my friends. You know, I like these people. And and so, yeah, she just, (laughs) you know, she's really getting this like verbal beating here, you know, because Wayne just keeps going and going. And and Kevin's like, no, she's awful, you know. So Kevin gets angry and you know walks out and when the principal stops him he's just like young man you can't leave with there's no no food leaves the cafeteria which okay <laughs> all right yeah and then Kevin just walks out anyway and then of course the principal stops him again I think we have a problem He was right there was a problem Oh yeah the apple That's right the apple You wanted it inside the cafeteria That's right and now it's outside the cafeteria. That's right. The conversation was getting stale. I asked myself, now what would a guy like Brian Cooper do in this situation? So Kevin throws the apple into the cafeteria, landing him in deep trouble. <sighs> yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> oh my 
my god. You hear this girl scream. Ah! It's a horrible <laughs> crash. Like stuff broke and yeah. it freaked her out and and he's immediately backtracking mm-hmm. his yeah, action. Like it's that. like I could go get that. <laughs> it's like, well yeah. <laughs> I cannot like like okay, if he did that if say the principal wasn't around and he threw the apple back at his brother or something like that, mm-hmm. whatever. But in front of the vice principal, yeah, who was already ready to give you detention, <laughs> yeah, what are you, yeah, what are you doing? It's exactly. day one. Yes, yep. you're just feeling everything all at once, and you're yeah. just angry, and you're yep. really upset, and you mm-hmm. just want to want to do something about it. And he's just thinking like, what would Brian Cooper do? You know, like, <laughs> and immediately, oh, maybe that wasn't. Yeah. Oh, I'm not. I'm not Brian. Maybe I yeah. should. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't that cool. Yeah. <laughs> in the next scene, we see Kevin in the vice principal's office with his mother. It's clear that he's in trouble, but he has a hard time explaining why he did what he did. And this is that classic moment right here mm-hmm. with kids. Mm-hmm. He has done something bad, mm-hmm. and his mom is sitting there, and she is trying to give him a chance to explain what he did. And he's just, I don't know. I don't know why I did it, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. it, yeah, and it's just very like frustrating. It's very frustrating for the parents. Why don't you just tell us why? Yeah. Right. Why did you do this? And and even us looking back at maybe a moment similar to that for in our own lives, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, do it. Tell them mm-hmm. you might like like yeah. your older brother might get reprimanded this yeah. time. You know, if he had just yeah. explained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's, yeah, it's, it's really hard to express yourself sometimes. Right, right. But it's kind of like we were talking before about when a kid's asked, like, oh, how was your day? And you're just like, it was okay. Yeah. It was fine. You know? And this, this scene is brilliant because not only do you have Daniel Stern that has been narrating as an adult, you also have this inner monologue from Kevin <laughs> right there. He's telling you exactly, like you know, why he did it, and he's thinking, like, oh, the vice principal is this freaking weirdo who's an idiot, (laughs) you know, you're getting all this, but then he does the short answers back to his mom. He's not saying any of it. Yeah. Yeah. It isn't until the end of the scene that we find out that Kevin's father, Jack, is also in the room. Jack cracks his knuckles and says, I'd like to take him home now. Very intimidating. <laughs> yeah. like Do you remember when before. you watched that scene? Yeah, like... I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember watching it, and you just, you're thinking, oh, it's just his mom. Yeah. It's fine. And then as soon as they reveal that his father is in the room, it's like, yeah. Yes, oh, you don't know he's oh, there. Shit. They save it for the end of the scene. Right. Yeah. If, because, you know, Thinking that it's just the mom there, it's like, yeah. okay, she'll take him home mm-hmm. and then like calmly explain it in a way to the dad where yeah. it won't be such yeah. a serious thing. <laughs> but nope, he's already there. Yes, he's there. And I I like how they reveal that he's there yes. because they're, we're sitting there and the principal says, well, we're, we're not going to give you any further punishment. You know, we just want you to think about what you did. This is a warning. And then we just hear his father's voice. I'd like to take him home now. And then the camera pans to the yes. back, and there he is, yeah, in the in the corner of the room, cracking his knuckles. Oh, it's <laughs> I didn't even do anything wrong, and I I still was right? like, oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no, 
Kevin rides home with his parents, he considers the fact that a physical punishment is in his near future. And he resolves to imagine that he's his brother, as his dad inevitably beats him for what he did. So he's this idea that his dad is going to physically punish him, mm-hmm. which is something that was a real part of my dad's childhood. And yeah. a, mm-hmm. big, a big thing that he really feared. And, you know, and his dad, his dad's dad, you know, punished mm-hmm. him physically. Oh, yeah. It was a very... It's just how it was. Yeah, it was a very common mm-hmm. thing to do. They don't, they don't specify in no. this episode how he's done it before. <laughs> the knuckle crack, though. Yeah. <laughs> is enough. Yeah. Yes, yeah. He said that he's only he's hit Wayne a couple of times, but he had him himself had never been hit by their dad. Mm-hmm. When the family arrives home, Karen and Wayne come out the front door to greet Kevin and their parents, looking distraught. There's a long pause before Karen says the words, Brian Cooper was killed. The family stands in a moment of shocked silence, and Kevin's father, who moments earlier was considering Kevin's punishment, firmly places his hand on Kevin's shoulder. Mm. yeah this this is is, this is tough yeah this is a really rough scene and i love how abrupt it is there's uh we're thinking about the fact that he's in trouble at school Mm -hmm. we're thinking about his dad punishing him Mm -hmm. things that seem really big and Mm -hmm. scary and important and just one moment later they seem so small Mm -hmm. because it is abrupt and that's that's how you would find out things like that in real life you know Mm -hmm. and you know they just walk up and and they know something's wrong because the kids are coming out of the house Mm -hmm. as they're coming up the walkway so they know that there's something Mm -hmm. that is not good Mm -hmm. and the sister says it and she sounds like she's crying already and you know wayne has nothing to say which is rare yeah (laughs) and you know and the dad places his hand on kevin's shoulder in this really nice symbolic gesture like yeah. Oh. Yeah, he loosens his stuff. hands. Yeah, yeah he, he had from that clenching that he had just yeah. been doing, he just loosens them and Kevin looks up at his dad and the dad looks at Wayne. And I, I think part of that moment too is that, you know, Brian Cooper is somebody that they looked up to, but also, you know, the concept of losing your son in the war is Yeah. You know, it's oh, such, right, such right. a very yeah. difficult thing and you know, looking at your son's just after learning something like that has happened, I imagine, you know, the perspective is very different. It, it's really beautifully done. It's very complex, mm-hmm. but done in a very simple way. And it was, mm-hmm. it was really nice. And I like the way that Kevin looks up at his dad, kind of shocked, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time watching this and then the, the surprise of this scene. Did it surprise you guys? It did. I didn't think it was going to, I mean... I it's not like I expected it when I when they said he was going to war, but I was just like, okay, that's a possibility. Yeah. And but I was like, no way they're gonna do it in episode one. Right. That's yeah. gonna be a later plot point. Yeah. <laughs> no. I was completely caught off guard. Cause like you said, I was totally enraptured in the school punishment thing and all that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, day day one of middle school was a complete <laughs> disaster, wasn't it? Yeah. And then Totally forget about it because there's something much more impactful. For for me, I know I've seen this episode probably twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the first time was a while ago, so I'd kind of forgotten a lot of it. But I feel like I still, the second watching, I kind of knew it was going to happen. So I don't think I was as surprised, but it's still, 
it's still just a very poignant scene that just stands out and yeah. is like, whew, man, <laughs> it gets you. Yeah. I think the only thing they say to really prepare you is, he says, and then it happened. So you know yeah, something is about something. to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something very... And that's always really scary and, and hard. The, the few seconds before you you know you're about to hear something terrible and you just yeah. don't know what it is yet. Yeah. Kevin decides to go for a walk at dusk. And as he heads to the woods, he comes across Winnie, sitting alone on a big rock. Kevin sits down and tells her that he's sorry. He pulls off his jacket and places it around her shoulders as the song When a Man Loves a Woman by Percy Sledge begins to play. This is a very <laughs> sweet and serious scene. Sorry. But that song does make me giggle a little bit. <laughs> yes. Right? When I, because it, it is a very, I think it's a good choice, but it is a little bit of an odd choice mm-hmm. just because I, I think the part of it is that like he feels, he finally feels a little grown up here, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and because the, even though they're kids, they're taking this so seriously, as seriously as a man and a woman would take this scene. Yeah. And so I think that's why that song is here in this part, but I think it can be a little funny to hear that song when you see two children together. Like right. Yeah. yeah. Kevin and Winnie then share a kiss and a hug as the camera zooms out. The episode ends with the narration. Whenever some blowhard starts talking about the anonymity of the suburbs or the mindlessness of the TV generation, because we know that inside each one of those identical boxes with its Dodge parked out front and its white bread on the table and its TV set glowing blue in the falling dusk, There were people with stories. There were families bound together in the pain and the struggle of love. There were moments that made us cry with laughter. And there were moments, like this one, of sorrow and wonder. You would think, the way Winnie is introduced in the show, that it would take a really long time for him to, like, do anything with her. You know? You would think that it would take a long time for him to come to terms with the fact that he likes her, you know, try to make a move and yep. to ask yeah. her out or go to the dance or whatever. He, yes. Yes. He denied it so hard. Yeah. At the lunch table. Yeah. So I thought right. for sure mm-hmm. it was going to be like that. Yeah. And it's, I love the way they do this because he kind of, he's comforting her in this moment and he feels like this is what she needs and, you know, she seems fine with it. But you guys haven't seen the rest of the show. And right. I'll tell you right now, <laughs> this does not mean that they're together at all. They yeah, do no. not Mm-mm. they do not date after this. This is like they have this really special moment and they don't really talk about it after mm-hmm. that. You know, it's just a very special, important thing. And then all the stuff that usually comes where it's like, oh, I want to ask her to the dance. Somebody ah, else already asked her. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure if she really likes me. All of that stuff All does happen. Ha- yeah. yeah. Even though they have this kiss in the first mm-hmm. episode. I kind of understand that because they're still so young. Mm-hmm. You know, they did that because it was a moment thing. Yeah. But, you know, looking back on it, the, even the very next day, they're like, what was that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it anymore, right. you know. Because that feeling is at least lessened. And also all the other feelings that they're going through right now. I mean, you think about how her brother just died. I mean, that is obviously going to take up so much of her thoughts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, she has gone through so much today. Her brother has died and she had her first day of school just like Kevin. She went through everything that he went through. Yeah. You know, when he comes up onto the rock, he tells her he's sorry. 
that her brother died, but he also says that he's sorry for what he said. And mm-hmm. she says, I know. Like she doesn't, she doesn't, it doesn't stay mm-hmm. mad at him or she doesn't even get mad at him. No. She says, I'm sorry I said that. I didn't mean it. And she says, I know. Yeah, she's a very, honestly, like, she's a very mature character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, yep. for a child of, of that age, you know, being 12 years old. Yeah. You know, that's very, just a, yeah. a very mature response. It is, because she could have blown up it. Yeah, yeah. It was the first kiss for the characters and the actors. They were both incredibly nervous, and they had to do six different takes. <laughs> I, <laughs> of course. Someone on the set clapped when the kids kissed, which made them feel even more self-conscious. You fool. Why, <laughs> Why would you, you do, that? do that? They're already so embarrassed. Yeah. It's, they they should kids. It's so weird. It should have been them in the camera and no one else. <laughs> Danica McKellar says that they used the sixth take because it was the only take when Kevin gently stroked Winnie's hair. Oh, oh so cute. cute. It's very, yeah. very sweet. Fred also noted that he was so nervous that he was picking at the fake rock they sat on for the kiss. Nice. Yeah, it was a little, like, foam (laughs) rock. Yeah, just just kind of, yeah, he was really nervous to do it. Yeah. So that was the episode. I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts about that episode or not. I mean, what a pilot. Yeah. That's what Mm -hmm. I would say. It's like, if you want people to, like, completely understand your show in one episode, and this is, it was just a half an hour, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not a lot of time <laughs> to completely explain your show and the feeling and the characters and what's going to happen. It, it couldn't have been better yeah. than this because it's going to make anyone want to watch more. Yeah. So good. As we mentioned before, the very first episode aired right after the Super Bowl. That is obviously a huge audience. Yes. So big. The show was so well received that even more people tuned in the next week to watch the second episode. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Wild. So it's like you missed the first one. So your friends have to all catch you up. Like, okay, well, Brian Cooper's dead. You know. Okay. Okay, Who's that? (laughs) Who's Brian Cooper? In 1988, The Wonder Years won an Emmy for Best Comedy Series, and it had only released six episodes. Yeah. The first episode was so well written that the network wanted to order 13 episodes, but the creators knew that they only could handle six. Yeah. Mm. They did not have a lot of time to make these episodes. Yes. This is a perfect quality over quantity situation. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, there are a billion shows out there that love to just have filler episodes Mm. that's, oh, nothing really happened in this Mm -hmm. one. Nothing plot worthy happened yeah but this pack to the brim i i I haven't seen it as i said but just from episode one i can imagine all right so something exciting happened there was an announcement recently in august abc released a trailer and officially announced that the wonder years was getting a reboot i'm really excited oh boy yeah yeah The reboot is heavily influenced by the original series and takes place in the 1960s. Just like the original show. Just like that. It starts the same year, I believe. Yes. That is surprising. Yeah. I thought for sure they'd change it up. Yeah. No. Cool. Well, the main difference, however, is that the show centers around a black middle class family in Montgomery, Alabama, 
and their 12-year-old son, Dean. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it is the 1960s, but from a totally different perspective. Very interesting. And how they're trying to make it the Wonder Years. You know, that is a great move because, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone loves the original series so much. It did so well. It's so perfect as Mm -hmm. is. Don't even try to exactly copy it or reboot it in that way. Right. Change it up. And to make it sound even cooler, it has Don Cheadle as the narrator, and it also stars Dulé Hill. Yay! Son of a gun. So excited. He plays the dad. Yes. And Um, guys, it releases so soon. I'm so excited. It releases on September 22nd. Yeah. Wow, so, just around the corner. Ju- literally just around just the corner. Just around the corner. This episode is releasing just in time. Yep. Now we'll just have to watch the pilot of this next one and yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Honestly, I really am. I think Me that's going to be a great show. It looks I'm, fantastic. Yes, I'm thrilled. That that really, <laughs> it looks so good. Over 30 years later, The Wonder Years continues to connect with audiences. When the show aired in 1988, parents watched it with their children. And today, those children are sharing it with their kids. Every actor in the show has expressed nothing but affection for their time on the sitcom, especially Fred Savage, who feels lucky to have been part of something that is so special to so many people. The Wonder Years ran for five seasons, but the pilot episode is one of the show's most iconic moments. The show found a way to appeal to every generation, not just the people that remember the 1960s. All of us can watch The Wonder Years and remember that confusing, magical, strange, and painful time in our lives when we realize that the world just doesn't make sense sometimes. We all know what it's like to grow up, and when we watch The Wonder Years, we're reminded that we didn't have to grow up alone. So did you guys like it? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's incredibly relatable, even now. Mm -hmm. You know, as people... The three of us who did not grow up in the 60s, obviously. (laughs) We still have those same things. They might be slightly different, but the first day of middle school still exists, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Playing outside with friends still exists. Mm -hmm. Drama that you can't control, Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't happen directly to you, still exists. It's incredibly relatable for any time period. And the 1960s is such a great one to center the show around because it... It covers so much of it in such a small space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to have the kid grow from being 11 to 19 in your show. You can kind of do all of this within just those few wondrous years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice, Adam. Yeah. Well, I guess it's another case closed. <laughs> wow. That was wow. good. That was really good. That was a really I'm good impressed. one. Wow. All right. Well, let me see here. <laughs> happy to get out of school, I think. Yeah. I think we're all we're all happy to be done with Back to School September. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back to School September is over. However, we still will be releasing another episode this month yeah. as there are five weeks in September this year, there's five Thursdays anyway. That's right. So because there are five Thursdays, we will be releasing a fourth episode this month, and it will not be back to school related. It'll be totally different. Yes. Yeah. But, but it's a surprise. But it's on the 23rd of September. So figure so it out. think about that. <laughs> anyway. All right. Before we go, we'd like to thank our patrons. 
Joel, John, Jacob, Jacqueline, JD, Anthony, Shelley, Linda, Bob, Carlos, and Jaren. Thanks, guys. Uh, you can now buy us a popcorn at buymeacoffee.com slash blackcasediary. And we want to thank all of you that support us, whether it be through listening, telling a friend, or donating. We really appreciate all of you. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah, and thank if, you. And if you're one of our regular listeners, and we've never spoken to you directly, reach out to us. We love yeah. talking to you guys. Yes, please. Uh, anyway, all right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. See ya. Hi, Paul. Dad always said hi to our friends, but it was like he had this understanding with the family. He worked hard for us, he provided for us, and he certainly didn't want to have to talk to us on top of that.